I'm Josh, and my mission is simple. I teach tens of thousands of home service business owners like you how to grow a profitable seven-figure business. Every week, I deliver mind bombs and systems designed to help you gain mastery over marketing, admin, production, and sales inside your company. Each week, I'll open up the vault so you can finally take hold of the life and business you deserve. There is only one thing between where you are today and where you want to be, and that is the growth you're willing to endure. You're in the right place. Welcome to the Growth Vault. Hey, my friends. Welcome back to the Growth Vault podcast. Hope you're doing amazing as we close out the fourth quarter. I have a special treat for you today. Now, I haven't done a lot of interviews as of late. And honestly, part of the reason is, is I want to make sure when I do an interview that it adds tremendous value that you're not going to get anywhere else. You know, I go out like a sniper rather than a shotgun. I try to find people that know specialized things. They have specialized knowledge. Plus they have to be a good person, of course. And I think I've landed a whale in that sense today. His name is Bart Rupert. We're going to have a conversation about buying and selling companies, growing through acquisition, getting a higher multiple when you sell your company. How can you go from little owner operator guy to really truly being you know, a successful entrepreneur, CEO who's done exits and can use fancy words like mergers and acquisitions and all of the fancy things. And maybe you never thought you'd be one of those people. I know I didn't. And I still have a ton to learn. I'm excited to talk to Bart. Uh, Basically, I'll give a quick overview here. So he's founded nearly 30 companies. He's negotiated over $500 million. Yes, it's a half a billion in contracts and business deals. You know, whether it's a startup uh, all the way to like enterprise level companies. He took one company from like 8 million in sales to 75 million. And he's one of these guys that is just got that kind of golden touch, it sounds like. And I'm hoping he can help us translate that back down to local home service businesses and just add value to everybody. Bart, I'm super thankful for your time, my friend. How the heck are you? Josh, it is an honor to be here. And I have to say, after an intro like that, I have no idea how I'll live up to it. <laughs> well, we'll do the best we can. I'm sure it will be good because, you know, I've, everyone knows that before we record these, we talk you know, before the show, that's actually, that should be like the secret episode stuff. What What's said before and after the recording. And I knew instantly that you knew exactly what you were talking about and you had a heart to serve people. That's what I always get nervous about because um, I don't know, maybe I'm cheesy, but you know, to me, business is about family. It's about legacy. It's about giving your kids an unfair advantage. It's about challenging yourself. And I like talking to people that actually care about other people. I feel like I have a good sniffer uh, to sniff out the the frauds and the phonies. I don't get that scent from you at all, Bart. T- tell us your story and how you became such a rock star in business. So yeah, the, the, um, the reality is I think you're right. I think that a lot of growth around businesses is to promote betterment for yourself, betterment for your family, trying to get that leg up. And the sad reality is that us as entrepreneurs, we rarely get that shot at actually getting the golden ring. And when we do get the golden ring, whether we've sold all these different widgets, services, different offerings that are out there in terms of product, once you've sold your product, you've sold just that product. And selling a business is an entirely different skill set with different degrees of negotiation, different strategies. And what I learned is that you have to go through several of them to really see all the, the tips and tricks that come out on the other side. And because you're you're trying to get that leg up for your family you really get this one crack, most entrepreneurs, at selling a company and doing really, really well. So you want to have the best shot at it. Well, I I read something on your website that, you know, 90%, I don't know where this stat came from, but I, it just resonated with me. I'm certain that it's true, but 90% of new wealth is either generated through the exit of a business or through some type of real estate transaction. And I had never thought of it like that, but, you know, even for a small, tiny company fighting the good fight, I always tell them you have the earning potential of a professional athlete. You just don't realize it. And in preparing yourself and knowing the things that you're going to share with us can make all the difference on getting a huge exit and not, right? It's 100% true. And the stat comes from Morgan Stanley. It was confirmed by Bloomberg. And it says that 88% of all new wealth is created through the sale of a small to medium-sized business or real estate. And the way I look at it is that as soon as you recognize that, if you're looking to grow, if you're looking to expand, the only question left to ask yourself is, how do I get in on that? And as an entrepreneur, a lot of us view the growth of the company, the success of the company as the victory. 
But once you realize 88% of the real wealth, not money, but wealth that comes out of that is through the sale and the exit, then you start to tune your mind towards exactly what you talk about, Josh, which is automate, grow, sell, and specifically making sure that throughout that process, you're gearing everything you can to be able to sell that company at the highest possible multiplier. A lot of uh, people, honestly, so the name of our education company, Automate Grow Sell, it actually rubs people the wrong way, believe it or not, because a lot of these people are artisans, you know, from the e-myth, you know, not every baker should have a bakery type of thing. Some of them are just really passionate about the thing that they do rather than the business side of it, or at least they are in the beginning. And I always get pushback. They're like, I don't want to sell my company. And I'm like, calm down, calm down. You should still build a sellable company. You don't have to sell it. But wouldn't you want to have a sellable company? And I don't know, maybe explain uh, to that little guy's perspective what this other world is and maybe how he can up-level his mindset. Because I think they think of selling their business as getting rid of the golden goose. Um, but what's your philosophy behind why people should consider selling, if that makes Anybody sense? Anybody that is close-minded to the idea of selling right now because of where you are in life, because of your age, because of the age of your business, because of where your revenue is, I strongly encourage you to start to divorce yourself from that mindset and be open to the possibility of something grand. Think of it as like a situation to where you're going to buy a lottery ticket. Uh, you know, you, you can't win the lottery unless you're playing. But if you're going to buy a lottery ticket, I don't think anybody really goes in there expecting that they're going to win. But if that does show up and you do get that victory, then wouldn't you cash in on it? And if you do cash in on it, wouldn't you want to get the best tax advantages you could out of it? I think it's the same type of thing with your business. And, and I'm not saying think of your business as a lottery ticket. I'm just using that as a way to restructure your thought process to get you more comfortable with the idea of, Josh, what you're talking about around automating to grow and sell. Yeah. Because the reality is the more you can think about your business as something that has an image in a life of its own outside of yourself and create more value around that, the more you've got the opportunity to take care of that. And with the opportunity, it doesn't mean you have to, doesn't mean you're forced to, but it means you've got that choice. And right now you may not have that choice. And you have no idea how many people I run into that suddenly find themselves in a life altering situation almost overnight for reasons that they never expected. Like they might have a family member that gets terminal cancer. They might have something critical happen to a kid. They might have some sort of a healthcare expense that they need to suddenly cover. Or they may just be in a spot where they realize, and a lot of the folks I, I work with do this, where they say, you know what? I've been running my company my entire life. I realize I'm going to keep working until the day I die, unless I do something to change. Well, and at that point, if your business isn't ready for that exit, then you're not going to get maximum value. And it's, it's going to weigh on you for the rest of your life. For sure. I mean, a lot of people that take this stuff serious, they'll spend like a couple years in advance just prepping for the sale in terms of making their books look nice and juicy and everything else. Um, let me tell you my kind of story and give me your analysis on it. So uh, years ago, I I got interviewed and it was published on like Forbes.com. It was really weird how I met this guy and he interviewed me when I had sold my cleaning business. And even, you know, I always viewed that business as my training wheels business. You know, I think home services is perfect because, you know, the architecture of most companies is the same, right? You got to get a lead, you got to convert the lead, you got to deliver the thing that you sold and you need to follow up and resell, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and you know, you can apply these skills to different models in the future. So for me, I wanted to go into software. I viewed my business exit not as getting rid of a golden goose because my company was totally automated. I only worked like five hours a week on it. I made a good income from it. But what it did is it collapsed time for me. So maybe we can talk about multiples or your philosophy on this. But for me, I thought, okay, I, and by the way, I sold that company for a multiple of about five, which in this industry is way higher than normal, unless it's you know a $10 million plus dollar business, which mine was not. And so I thought, okay, if I get five years of income today with the new skills I have now, and I apply that to my next business in software, which is a better vehicle in terms of it's a, it's a more profitable model, or at least it has a potential to be, that just made sense to me at the time. I remember thinking of it like that, right? Because I knew it wouldn't take me five years to scale up my next thing. Turns out it actually took longer than that. <laughs> but that was my thought process at the time. And I don't want to get too technical or nerdy, but what are you thinking as I explain that? Yeah, there's a, 
a couple ways to look at that. I, first and foremost, I think it's the right thing to do because you're looking at how do I position the business to serve my goals, not so that I can serve in the business to meet it, its goals. And that's why we create companies is so they can better ourselves and, and propel us towards our goals. Your goal happened to be, I'd like to go off and do something grander. I'd like to get the five years of income today so that I can go and do something else. Many people listening to this may not want that. They may just be looking at retirement. They may have something else in mind. <clears throat> Some people even look at it as everybody makes the mistake of waiting until you're like 65 or 70 before you take a true vacation, step away from work to go off and see the world, travel, et cetera. The problem is once you're at that point, you know, you're, you've still got a lot of good years ahead of you but you're probably not gonna experience the world the same way you would if you were in say your forties. And we've got a group we're working with right now, just as an example of response to your story where he's got a construction company, things are going really well, they're doing extremely well right now. And he's looked at some of the things we've offered and said, you know what? I think that what you've said makes sense because what we shared with him was the exit process should be about your business, not about you. And what I mean, by that is that most people think the business exit is about me, so I'm not going to try to sell till I'm 65. Well, maybe that's just not the right time for your business. Maybe the best days are behind it. Maybe you're not going to be able to get the same value out of it. This guy looked at it entirely differently. He said, I'm looking at the business and I think our peak where we're just crushing it is really never going to be better than it is right now. So my business is at the top of its game even if I am a really young guy, because Josh, he's only 39. That's a really and, good point, actually, because, you know, for a local home service, just to tie it back to them, maybe they're in a market and they're, they're reaching saturation and, you know, they're, there's, they, they know logically they can't grow as fast as they had. And maybe they're on that, they're in that top 90th percentile type thing. And, and that's something to consider. I hadn't thought of it that way. Exactly. And so you, you look at that business from a saturation perspective, or you could, and say, because it's independent of me, it has a value outside of my age, my readiness to sell, et cetera. And if I want to capitalize on that, perhaps I could get far more value out of it at that point than I would waiting for me to be ready. So this guy's 39 years old. He's looking to sell the business. He's obviously not done with his career, but he will make so much more on the sale of the business right now than he would later down the road that it would be foolish just from a mathematics perspective to wait. Let me and ask you the way he looks at it. And so, you know, ultimately his positioning of that company is going to net him far more than I'd say 80% of the people we work with just because he's thinking of it that way. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Let me ask you this. So obviously you, you help people buy and sell companies and probably any industry, it's all over the place, I would imagine. What are the issues you see? Let's say someone has a, a service company and they've they have their kind of green belt, so to speak, in business because you know they have employees, they have you know departments, they 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 do CEO things, they have a PL, they know what a balance sheet is, etc. What bad things can happen, or, or or is it not that big of a deal to go industry to industry, right? Because there are so many nuances, but there are similarities too. What are the pitfalls people fall into when they sell a business and jump into something else that they think is a bigger opportunity, but maybe it's in a totally different industry? There's so many different ways to answer that, depending upon the individual, the industry, et cetera. But what I would say is that you, you want to have some degree of understanding of what you're getting into and due diligence. You want to make sure that it is a transferable skill set. Warren Buffett teaches us that he goes after everything in a strike zone. And I'm not saying everybody's got to go after the stuff that's in their strike zone, but you've got to have at least a basic understanding of how it operates and how you can add value to it and grow it. And even if that means somebody else comes in and runs it, that's absolutely fine. But you've got to be able to see as the visionary or the board member or chairman or CEO or whatever role you want to fill, you've got to be able to see the path to the future. And if you can do as Stephen Covey says and begin with the end in mind to be able to see that, even if it's difficult, even if it's impossible uh, from what you're looking at right now, once you start digging into it, you'll begin to uncover the step-by-step -step path. And I'd say that the biggest general issue I see with people that are going on this path up front is themselves. They get in their own way. And we've taught people how to buy and sell companies and essentially flip them like real estate. 
uh, from every walk of life. We've got people that have owned tire businesses, uh, folks that have just been construction workers on the front line. We've got folks that are software developers. We've got people that have been salespeople, uh, you know, from really every different type. We've got industrial folks that have been in oil and gas. All these different folks that have come into our program that have learned how to follow a system, a process, a set of techniques and a discipline that gets them that result. And the biggest consistent issue I see is people just stop themselves out of fear. They convince themselves, oh, I can't do this because. And because is almost always something that is overcomable. It's just that they're uncomfortable with it. And the ones that are successful, no matter what position they've come from, no matter how much income or how little income they're making when we find them, is they persevere. They find a way like an entrepreneur should to say, all right, I get it. This looks challenging, but there's a system. There's people that have figured this thing out. All I got to know is what that system looks like. Put one foot in front of the other and just get to work. Hmm. And those that go and do that, they, they find themselves successful. I do think- Because you've seen this too, Josh. I mean, yeah. coming from a, a spot where you were delivering pizzas at one point to the point where you've got a portfolio of businesses and software company today, that's not because you woke up, you know, at like the age of 11 and said, yeah, I understand software. It's because you went out there and studied it and figured it out and did it. And you believed in yourself. And by doing that and following processes that made other people successful, you were able to propel yourself to where you are today. And my message would be literally anyone and everyone can do that. We've seen it. We've proven it. We've demonstrated it in three different countries uh, with a ton of different people. And it's out there. It's available. You just have to have the gumption and the belief in yourself to go after it. Well, <laughs> I agree. Uh, belief is like the cornerstone of all of this stuff people deal with in their head is they just don't believe. And there is an intimidation factor because maybe I'll break this into two parts. We can transition, right? So I, I'm coming to the realization that I am more of an entrepreneur, less of a businessman. <clears throat> and there's some semantics here on how you would define those things. But what I mean is like, for example, the book Traction, you know, they talk about the visionary and the integrator. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that concept, yes. right? So I can take an idea yes. on a napkin and go make a million dollars with it. And I feel super strong in that. I have a bend towards sales and marketing. I have, you know, the personality to be able to do that. I, I can see the future. But once I have to become like a true operator and do all the CEO things, which, you know, you're doing the whole time, but it gets more complex when you get around three million bucks. Things get harder for me. And it is intimidating. I think part of it is just the language and the nomenclature in the world that you're in. You know, what's a warrant? What's a class A share, class B share? What's a clawback? What's a stock transfer? What's an asset purchase agreement? Like there's all these things. And, you know, the pizza guy, I have like, that is so intimidating. And you feel like you have to be a genius, which isn't true, but it feels like that, right? I mean, did you have an MBA before you started this? Because I know I didn't. Uh, I've, I learned all these lessons through pain and suffering personally. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, my background was uh, I grew up and <clears throat> everybody told me you've got to be either a doctor or a lawyer to be successful. And so I took this three-stage path that started off with what I call the executive path, where I discovered, okay, I'm not going to be a lawyer or a doctor, but I've seen that executives are, are where the money's made. So I pursued that. And then in the path or the course of that, I started working for a company with an entrepreneur who founded that company. It was only a 400 person company, but I looked at his life and I said, wow, it's actually not the executive path because you get money that way, you get a big paycheck, but it's really the entrepreneurial path that has the most wealth because look at the lifestyle this guy's living. And then I actually helped this guy, and this is the first business transaction I was involved with back in the 90s, I helped this guy sell this $400 million um, company. Uh, and uh, with that, we, we, we went through and, and sold this thing. And I just saw the amount of wealth it created for him. And he had taken on money and all this other stuff. Uh, essentially, he walked away with like 20 million bucks. And at that point, I looked at that and said, wow, it's actually not the executive path or the entrepreneurial path as much as it is the acquisition path or selling a company. <laughs> Yeah. Now, with that, obviously, those two or three blend together to where <clears throat> as an entrepreneur, you've got to have, to some degree, executive qualities. But I would also contend as an entrepreneur, you want to be looking towards what that acquisition or sale path looks like, because that's where 88% of all the new wealth comes from. 
And as you're looking at that evolution, there are going to be things that are intimidating and scary and frightening as you go through it. But I mean, let's go back and look at any skill that was new to us at the time when we took it on, like riding your bicycle. I think I learned how to ride a bike at four years old. And I remember seeing other people walking around. It looked like magic when they got on a bike because it was like, wait a minute, what's holding this person up? There's like these two wheels that are just so narrow. I don't know how they're doing that. And every time I got on a bike, I fell over and I hurt myself. And I just persevered and kept going and going. And I had somebody, my grandfather actually, that said, hey, let me teach you how to ride a bike. And he gave me the techniques. He showed me how to hold the handlebars. He showed me how to adjust when things were starting to go bad and how to recognize when things were going bad. And when he did that, I actually learned very quickly how to ride a bike. And within a week, I was just as proficient as anybody else. And I would contend, even though it's a, a very far off example, buying and selling companies is the exact same thing in the sense that you, you could try to do it yourself if you, and that's what I did, by the way, I didn't have an MBA or any knowledge around this. It took me about 20 years to really get to the point where I am now. I would say that's probably not the best way to do it. I wish that I hadn't gone through that because it was a very painful process. Um, but that was the metaphor of me trying to learn myself and always falling over. When my grandfather had come along and said, hey, let me show you how to do this and just show you a few techniques. Yeah, there were half a dozen, maybe 10 different things he showed me. That's what I needed to be able to get there. It's the same thing with buying and selling a company. And if you work with somebody that's been there and done that, especially like our group where we've got a process that we've broken down that people can just follow like an instructional, almost like baking a pizza, right? Where there's a certain set of ingredients that go in a certain order, they get baked for a certain period of time and you get a product at the end. And that product is gonna have a tolerance of reasonability around what you're gonna get either over or undercooked, but it's gonna be cooked. And that's the exact same thing with buying a company. Everything else that falls out of that, like vernacular terms, et cetera, those are just details. And at the end of the day, Josh, I think everybody looks at this whole process as, as scary because it seems like you're buying this company and this huge thing with all these employees. The reality is the way I look at it, a transaction is just done between two people at the end of the day. Like if, if I were a buyer and you were a seller of a business, it wouldn't be that we're merging our companies or doing all these complicated things. It really comes down to this. You and I are gonna sit down as the principals and figure out if we've got a deal. And there's a very systematic approach you can follow on each side to get the best outcome for everybody to where it's a true win-win and where everybody's on the same page and communicating in a healthy way all the way through it. And ultimately it gives us the best possible chance to figure out if there's a transaction. And that's all it is at the end of the day. So if you've ever sold a product, sold a service, sold anything that's out there, which all of us as entrepreneurs have, then this is similar to that once you know the ground rules of how to go about it. Very interesting. Let me let me bring it back down and try to bridge this into some real life kind of scenarios here. So let's say that because we, we've had a global pandemic this year, which has been just insane, right? But for me, I got excited in a way because there's so much opportunity. Oh my goodness, there's so much opportunity. People overreacting, panicking, wanting to exit, or you have older uh, owners that don't have a, a transition path and so they need to sell. I, I don't know. I just think there's opportunity everywhere. If, if you were kind of walking, a, I don't know, let's say someone has a million dollar business right now and they want to grow their business through acquisition. So they don't necessarily want to sell. How do you approach that scenario? What, what things do you look for in the company you're acquiring to create instant value? You know, what things are undermanaged or where's kind of the hidden free money, so to speak, when you acquire a business? What, what types of things would someone like you be looking for uh, when you're looking to acquire? Yeah, good question. And we're doing this all the time, uh, every day, it, it, looking at opportunities like that. So I think it's a pertinent question. <clears throat> well, your, your question specifically gets into some of the tactics and some of the things to look for. I would take a step back before diving into those and go back to, we talked about Stephen Covey a moment ago, go back to his core tenet of begin with the end in mind and strategically look, not even at a business, but at yourself and ask yourself first and foremost, what do you want out of an acquisition? What's your goal? And I know that sounds really simple, but let me go ahead and boil it down to make it a bit more specific for you. Do you want to get more money on a month by month basis? 
Do you want to expand your empire and actually grow your business with more regional offices or more you know, cities or coverage that you've got? Or are you looking to build out a portfolio so that one day you can exit that and get a lot of wealth out of it? The reason I ask that is because depending upon your answer, your strategy can change. And then the tactics that follow will be different. But let's go ahead and take two extremes. The two extremes that I typically hear are, look, I know at some point I wanna, I wanna retire or I wanna have a massive wealth event. I know that selling companies is the way to do that. So I'm gonna take the old stock strategy of buy low, sell high. I'd like to acquire companies right now, grow them to a certain level, turn around and flip them one day and make a ton of money and retire. And that's my plan, great. That's a different strategy because you're looking at long-term growth towards the goal of selling than somebody that says, hey, I'd like to really pay myself now. I, I find that my business with where it is is not generating enough free cash flow for me. I want more. So maybe right now your take-home pay that you're paying yourself is like five grand a month. So begin with what do you want out of your acquisition? Do you then want to get 10 grand a month out of it? Do you want to get 20 grand a month out of it? How many acquisitions do you look to do to be able to get that? But as soon as you realize your goal is more short-term in the sense that I want to buy a business and then double my cash flow after a month, that is a great goal as well. And by the way, both of these can serve the same thing in the end, but it's very important to be specific about where you are right now, and what you want right now. Because if you really want the short-term cash in your pocket month to month, then the longer-term strategy is going to frustrate you, turn you off from that, and you're going to get tired of it and not fulfill your true destiny there. Whereas if, if the longer-term goal, the growth is really what you're after, and that excites you, then chasing a little bit of money on the front end, yeah, that's going to move the needle a little bit, but it's not going to be exciting enough for it to really motivate you to stick it out and make sure that you're going and doing a bunch of these things. Oh, if that's such your goal. a good point. Such a good point. No, the, the hardest question I ask people is what do you want? Where are we going? What's the destination? People really can't answer that very effectively. They're very right. good at telling me what they don't want. <laughs> they're, they're very good at, you know, but, but they, people don't know what they want, but you're right. If they just want to increase their income, maybe an acquisition doesn't make sense or a totally different type of acquisition, <clears throat> or you're looking for a different type of company. If you just want more income versus if you're doing like a roll up or you want to build an empire or something like that. Um, well, just real quick to address that, I would jump in and say that if you're looking to increase your income an acquisition can absolutely make sense. And in fact, one of the big lessons I've learned over the last 20 years is that sometimes instead of growing your business to a certain level, and I've grown businesses from 8 million to 75 million, from 22 to over 100, sometimes instead of growing it, the inorganic growth method of buying somebody is way better. Because I can spend like the next 18 months doubling the revenue of any given business that I own, or I can go out and negotiate one deal and do that in an afternoon with one transaction. But you still have to begin with the end in mind and, and know where you're going before you leave the driveway. Well, exactly let's let's pretend that we do know, just because I know the audience really wants some of the tactical things. And yes, it's hypothetical. And yes, every scenario is different. But let's just for the sake of having fun, walk through some, some scenarios here. So let's say I want to build an empire. I, I don't care about my reward right now. You know, new, more income now is great, but it's not the primary objective. Primary objective is to get a a bunch of businesses and make a huge exit and buy 17 jet skis and a hot tub and, and buy my wife a new big diamond ring <laughs> at the end of it. <clears throat> what value creation opportunities are you looking at? And let's, and if you need to be specific, let's say that we're looking at a service company. So we have a million dollar service company. Should we be looking to acquire a bunch of similarly sized ones? Should we just go for a bigger one? Um, what would the cash look like? I know you you help people buy businesses with no money down. I'm trying to get into the tactical weeds a little bit just because it's so satisfying for the listener. What things are you looking for? What are the secret little nuggets you see when, you, when you're looking at a deal and you say, mm, this is genius. We need to pursue this one. Gotcha. Yeah, it, it's not going to be what people think it is. I think most folks are going to look at this and say, how much money are they making? or what is the amount that I'm willing to spend? That's where everybody starts. We look at things very asymmetrically, very differently. The way I would look at it is, does it matter what their revenue is directly? At least don't worry about that right now. If they're in the same industry as you and you're looking to grow your empire, look for companies that have pain. Look for owners that have something that is hurting them personally or professionally. And what I mean by that is, let's say that 
you got a company that you're growing well, you got good word of mouth referrals, your operations are pretty strong, but you're small. You've, you've got like a million bucks a year, let's say, in revenue. You would look at a competitor and try to really assess whether or not they've got a specific area that you may be able to help with where they're not doing so well. So let's say, for example, the guy next door has got a company where they're not selling. They've got a great operation. Their business is strong. They've got great staff, but they're not making new sales. Therefore, they're not growing. Therefore, they're stagnating. If that were any of us, we would all feel pain on that. We'd be like, wow, we got to correct that because if you're not growing, you're slipping backwards. So perhaps the way you'd go about it is addressing that individual and approaching them and saying, hey, look, let's talk about some of the things that are going on. It, It looks like you guys could use some help growing. And I know we're a competitor, but let's pretend for a second that we could work together. What would that look like? What would be some of the areas that you'd like to see improved upon? And if you could get that other owner to tell you, well, gosh, you know, I really am struggling to grow and I'd like to find a way to move forward. How powerful would it be? How much value would you add if you could say, I can fix that for you? And in that scenario, no matter how much money they're making, how much revenue they've got, what their profit looks like, they know that if they don't grow, their business over time is going to be worth nothing because they'll slowly stagnate, stagnate and shrink and go away. Whereas if you could come in and help them get to that next level and achieve that growth, then there's incredible value there that's going to have them talking to you over anybody else and make them far more likely to do a deal. And that that leads us back towards that win-win scenario. You're basically trying to line up your strengths to fill in the gaps of whatever business you're looking at. So maybe your strength is, you know, you're a financial total geek and nerd and you look at another company and they're way more loose with their financials and you can create instant value just by tightening things up. Or maybe you're really, really good at sales and marketing and they're not, and you can create instant value uh, by applying that skill set. Or maybe you're just a more dynamic leader and you have a better culture and theirs is a little stale and you know that you can get way more productivity. Is that kind of what you're saying? You just, you're looking for the, the deficit in the, acquiring, uh, the company you want to acquire and making sure that your particular skills can create value in that deficit. Is that what, is that, am I hearing you correctly on that? It's one strategy out of about 20. Okay. But it's the place, <laughs> it's the place to start because he, here's what it comes down to at the end of the day. And I think we all know this, but every human being is motivated by only two things. It's either pain or things that, that gives them pleasure or reward of some kind. So people, just human psychology, we're more apt to move away from pain than we are towards anything else. So if I go to you, Josh, and I could say, yeah, I, 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 you and I have talked and I could make you 50% more revenue. That's gonna raise an eyebrow, you're gonna be interested. But if I could go to you and say, the biggest thing that's causing your business to suffer right now, that's keeping you awake at night and causing you to sweat through the bed sheets, I can fix that. That's gonna have a much different impact, a much more powerful impact. That's why you start there. And there's other strategies that can follow, but you're absolutely correct in the sense that you might have a really poor operational system that I know how to fix. You might have over expenditures that you're putting into a specific area. You may not know how to do, say, cloud-based technology or phone systems or something that I've got contacts with I can immediately help. Uh, you might have legal struggles that you're going through. You might be in the middle of a lawsuit of some kind, and that's just causing you to figure, do I just throw the business out the door and walk away? You never really know what's going on the other side of the fence. We all assume the grass is green on the other side, but that's never the case or very rarely. So as soon as you get in the inner circle with somebody and you build that rapport and you can ask them some questions, then you can start to extract some of that data to figure out what's going on with the other guy and how might I be able to to help? And by the way, it doesn't even have to be you that actually has the solution. A lot of the groups that we work with, they don't do any of the work themselves. They basically leverage the the network that our team has to be able to say, okay, I know that this is where this person's pain is and this is what would cause them to do a transaction. I don't know how to fix it. And then they bring back to our, that problem back to our group. We find partners that can come in and address that. We fix it for them. And then we go ahead and do the deal and get the deal done. And the thing about that is, Josh, when people think about M&A or buying companies or doing mergers, they think, all right, that's going to take like nine to 18 months. And in most cases it does. But when you engage somebody to where you're helping them, to where you're finding a way to solve their problem or bringing somebody else in to solve their problem for your benefit, 
then you get a deal done in weeks or a few months rather than over a year because it's just a much more smooth transaction. There's not the same contention. There's not the same beating everybody over the head in the negotiation. It's, wow, this person's solving my problem and I'm giving them something as a result. And that's a great way to purchase a company. We just wrapped up this last Friday uh, transaction with an IT services company, actually, where we did just that. And the person, we, we kept them, the old owner, we kept them in a minority equity position. We took over the company. We're now going to run it, grow it, sell it. And as we're on that path, the, the owner is thrilled because we've solved a lot of the problems that they were suffering with. And we've positioned it to where their equity position, even in the minority, is going to be worth far more with us at the helm than it would be with them at the helm. And they don't see that as like a negative, like, you know, that's an insult to them or anything. They were ready to transition. They were ready for that. And we would not have known that had we not sat down and really sought to understand what is causing that individual pain? Where, where is the suffering coming from? And is there a way we can fix that? Yeah. I mean, there's a very human element to this. I always joke that adults are exactly the same as middle schoolers, except we're more sophisticated at lying. <laughs> 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 like there's very little difference, but I think the other thing is when you're reaching out to competitors or you start trying to talk to other business owners, there's so much peacocking that's happening. You know, it's like a peeing contest between yeah. two men. It's like, but the truth is, like you said, like there's, there's definitely brokenness behind the curtain, but just having the skills to, I don't know, get a basic level of trust in place to have those conversations. That's half the battle right there. Wouldn't you agree? Well, let me give you a couple tips and tricks on that then, because there's an art as well as a science to this. And the art portion is how do you approach an individual to be able to get past those defenses, get past that entrepreneurial bluff that's going on with virtually everybody and get to the truth. <laughs> yes. And the way that we overcome that is by really tapping into the psychology of the person, because at the end of the day, we believe that deals are done between people rather than businesses. So a tip that you can use to do that, when you approach somebody and you notice them with your term peacocking and really just poofing out their value more than the reality dictates it should be, you can ask them, all right, well, look, every one of us, myself, you, every entrepreneur on the face of the planet has issues. None of us are perfect. And let me tell you, here's a problem I've got. So you, you volunteer it, you show some white underbelly first. And you say, the issue I've got with my business right now is that we're growing so fast operationally, I can't keep up. So I was looking at your company because you guys seem to be really good at that. But I'm sure just like me, you're human and you've got some stuff going on too. So oh, I just wanted to find out, like for me, it's operational. What keeps you up at night? And at that point, Josh, what I always tell people when I'm going through the process of training them on our program is that they're going to come back with that. And, you know, whether you call it a lie or puffery or whatever, it's not going to be the truth, right? It's going to be, it's going to be a glimpse of the truth, but it won't quite be the truth. They'll tell you something that's still very defensive, like, well, you know, we, we do pretty well with this, that, and the other. We do pretty well operationally and we're doing fine over here. We grew a little bit last year, but you got to look for the area where they're trying to give you a hint and you've got to ask a follow-up question about it. That's the next step. That is so you smart. To do that. And so like if somebody said what I just said to you, I would probably follow up and be like, oh, well, it sounds like you said you grew a little last year. Was that satisfactory? Do you think you were hitting your full potential? And when I ask that, Josh, I ask with the explicit understanding that nobody should come back and say, yes, I'm hitting my full potential. And I'm trying to drive to the truth. And so if they're being real with me, then they should come back and say, well, I don't think that we hit our full potential, but... I think we did okay. Well, is okay satisfactory to you? Well, maybe not. I'd, I'd like to have grown a little bit more. No, I, I see where that's super, super smart. <laughs> I love when you said, uh, show your little white underbelly first. That's hilarious. Um, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta humble yourself and, and, and you can't be peacocking along with it. If you're going to be the guy buying it, you got to show some humility. I think that's so funny. Uh, <laughs> just reminds me of middle school playground stuff, but um, I want to ask you a couple more questions too. And then I also want to learn more about specifically, you know, how like Spartans Alliance works and like the, just the nuts and bolts of how you deliver the program, et cetera. 
But you talk about on your website a couple of things that I thought were interesting. Number one was you talk about this thing called the unpublished acquisition network. And then the second thing was talking about a boost technique. And I read a little bit about that. Basically, the boost technique helps you get a higher valuation for your company. Can you briefly explain those two things? Sure. The unpublished acquisition network is a proprietary database or system that we've developed to find companies that aren't for sale. And I'll tell you why that's important. If you go out and try to buy a company that's listed on a website, like BizBuySell, for example, you're going to be one of couple dozen people probably that have reached out to that business owner. Most of the offers that people reach out to them about, particularly for small companies, are not real. They're people that are first-time buyers. They're kicking the tires. And, and that gets the seller in a very demoralized position. So by the time a real buyer comes along, they've had so many tire kickers, so many insulting offers, so many different people that wasted their time that they really are just kind of done with it. They're like, I'd rather shut this thing down. And we've seen that over and over again. So psychologically, the way the technique works best is by getting in front of the unpublished acquisition network and finding companies that are not for sale, which is counterintuitive, but it's part of the reason why our asymmetric system works because you're now talking to somebody that's a business owner. You're the only one talking to them. You're the person that's actually negotiating with them and, and getting to understand them as a person. And it gets your chances of doing a transaction to increase by 60 to 80%. And we've demonstrated that. So the, the concept there is if you can find a company that's not for sale, your chances of success go way up because you're directly interacting with the person. They have that shiny object syndrome. They're like, oh, somebody's interested in buying my company and it's you. And you don't have to deal with all those different contentious buyers. Similarly- That makes a lot of sense. I mean, because then that opens up the door for these pain conversations and try to get their guard down and then try to slowly get them to the realization that they really, really need help and they really should consider it. And I'm assuming that's all part of your system, right? That's right. That's right. And it, it's like, we, we've got over a hundred hours worth of content. So it's, um, you know, it's a long system, but it's something that uh, is pretty quick to digest. It's actually a lot of fun. We make it we, we make it pretty interactive, but, but you've got to be able to build that rapport with them and get that conversation going to have the maximum chance of success. And then on the boost technique with what you'd asked about there, that's where we position your company to sell for 20 to 40% more value. And there's ways to go about this. And the best example, I'll give you a quick one. It comes down to the way that most brokerages or M&A firms position a company, which is pathetic. It, it, gives, it gives most it's a bad name in the industry, uh, but they put together what's called a memorandum or a confidential information memorandum. It's like a teaser deck or a deck. And it's often misspelled. It's got nothing in there about the value of the business. It talks about the different things the business does rather than the value the business can add. And it, it just presents something that is the weakest form or representation of something that you've probably spent the last 10, 15, 20 years of your life building. And this group came along at like the final yard line and put together this embarrassing thing that was based off a template that's not even spelled correctly, that doesn't present well, that isn't going to entice anybody to buy. And when you go down the boost technique, you look psychologically at what causes a firm to buy another firm. You see it through their eyes and you position all of that differently. And then further, Instead of just doing what was done to me when I was selling my companies early on, where they just say, hi, this is Barton's team. I'll let you guys talk it over where I didn't know what I was doing. And I made a lot of mistakes. And I left hundreds of thousands in some cases and millions of dollars in other cases on the table. And with the knowledge I've got today, looking back, I know that. But the reason that, I mean, because it, it sits on you, it, it burns you when you lose that much money or, or leave that on the table to the point where many years or decades later, you still reflect back on that, say, how could I have done that differently? And the, the boost technique is based on that core concept is how to make sure an entrepreneur doesn't make the same mistakes. And there's a system, a series of different strategies you can do that virtually guarantee in 80 to 90% of the cases that someone will offer you more than that company's worth. And that is powerful. Because if you sounds, know, for example, like you're going to go and sell a company right? and you're going to be able to get like $2 million for it. And you might look at that and say, wow, that would really change my life. I mean, my question would be, what would your life look back? It, it look like if you could get 2.4, 2.6 out of that as a minimum. 
because yeah. sometimes we're able to get like a couple hundred percent more. And so Bart, it sounds like you're, <laughs> you're talking about just marketing and positioning the company better when you're ready to sell, which is so funny because that's just like a core tenet of any business. And like, we forget all the basics of sales and marketing when we go to sell our company, <laughs> but it's just the positioning of your deck, the emotion, doing better storytelling, things like that. Is that, am I hearing you correctly on that? Yeah, there, there's a couple different things to go into it. It starts with what you said at the beginning of, of the interview, where you've got to line up everything to where it, it shows well from a due diligence perspective. So your foundation for the house is strong. And then the marketing, the advertising, that's where you've got the foundation in place and you've put, you know, you've put a fresh coat of paint on it and everything else. But what you also need to be able to do is have somebody that's very skilled with what we call asymmetric negotiation really with you to help negotiate that deal or figure out how to do, do that to where you're not negotiating like a traditional person. The traditional way to go about the negotiation of these is that somebody comes at you with a valuation. It's a remarkably low valuation. You come back and say, well, I need something higher. And then they work you up a little bit from their low ball number and you're dissatisfied, but you do the deal. Yeah. And there's a completely different way of going about that to where you can position this thing by marketing, advertising, et cetera but then negotiate it from a standard set of techniques, starting with a higher valuation that allows you to get more money out of it. And I'll give you a quick tip on, on how we begin that conversation. Uh, we, we cheat, we use a software tool that does evaluation for us. Uh, it's called Valuation X. You can find it at www.valuationx.co. And that allows us to set the valuation of a company like 15, 20 minutes. It also allows us to play with some parameters to see what would the business look like if we did X, Y, Z. And if you position that to a buyer, then that buyer is going to see more value naturally the way it's presented. And they're going to come back and, you know, with a couple other, um, you know, strategies around how to get them thinking about, about it in the right way, they're going to offer you more. That makes so much sense. And I know this is such a huge, deep topic. Um, how do people, I don't know, work with you, learn your hundred hours of content? Well, how does your program work? What, what are the details on that? Sure. Yeah, we, we've got two different uh, um, two different ways we can go about that. If you're looking to buy companies or get part of building your empire, you can hit us up on www.spartansalliance.com. That's Spartans with an S, alliance.com. We've got some videos out there. We've got links to different social media sites where there's some great content you can check out. And feel free to reach out to us. We'll answer any questions that you guys might have. If you're interested in selling a company, and getting at least 20 to 40% more value out of it, or even exploring the valuation of your company to determine whether the timing is right for, for where the company is today, you can hit us up at www.stonepeakalliance.com. And are on there, the Stone Peak are, Alliance site, we can help you out with those sale questions. Are there size requirements uh, or capital requirements or any kind of guidelines for people that you know should be looking at working with you guys? Not on the buy side. No, I mean... There, there are certain sizes of companies on the sell side that, you know, we want to qualify and make sure more often that people will transact if we end up, you know, taking them on and work with them because we work with a few rather than the many. But on the buy side, there's no requirement, um, no capital needed uh, to buy companies. That's all done and supported through our group. Got it. All right. Well, I guess maybe to land the plane here, um, what words of encouragement or motivation or just general warm fuzziness would you impart to our, our audience who are out there fighting the good fight through a pandemic, growing their companies, learning every day, listening to podcasts like this, trying to level up? What would you say to them just as, <laughs> in general uh, as they continue their journey? At the end of the day, invest in yourself and don't give up on yourself. The entrepreneurs that I see that are successful, the quality they have in common is, is that they haven't succumbed to the fear, they haven't succumbed to the doubt, and they haven't succumbed to the fact that nobody else is doing what they're doing. You're a bit of a maverick out there doing some unique stuff. You're, you're doing some things in the face of hard times where other people are going to tell you the quote, good advice, like get a job, go out and find something safe, make sure you've got a way to, to cover your paycheck. And I'm not saying don't do that. But I am saying if you've got a business and you're growing the business and you're coming across hard times yourself, uh, like I've had several companies in our portfolio go bankrupt. It, it happened. That's, that's not a negative reflection on me or you or anybody. It just, that's where we are. Don't give up. 
continue to put your best foot forward, continue to look at a way to creatively solve the problem and push forward because that is who we are. That's what has served as a foundation for America and other countries that have really been able to get out there and make things happen. And if you don't give up on yourself and you keep pushing and you creatively solve the problems one in front of you that just come one after the other, you will make it. Perseverance is the answer. Wow. Beautifully said, Bart. That is so good. One of the things that makes America great, one of the many things really is bankruptcy law. It's the idea that you're not going to go to prison for the rest of your life and get thrown in debtor's prison if you make a mistake. So don't be so scared. Go for it. You can recover. There's so much opportunity out there. And uh, especially in weird, uh, unstable times, there's even more opportunity. So if you guys are looking to sell your company or just learn about how you could sell it or position itself for more, then go to stonepeakalliance.com if you want to connect with Bart. And on the other hand, if you're looking to acquire or just learn all the nerdy M&A, all the, the language and the lingo and the asymmetric negotiation and all the cool uh, things to buy uh, other companies, then go to spartansalliance.com. Bart, I appreciate your time. Very nice to meet you, my friend. Uh, hope you have a great fourth quarter and let me know if I can ever add value to you. Josh, thank you so much. And again, it's been an honor to be here. I really appreciate it. I think what you're doing, what your audience is doing is fantastic. This is really the fabric that is allowing us to recover from this pandemic. It's folks like you that are listening to this right now that are going to allow us to navigate through this. Absolutely. Take care, Bart. If you're ready to go even deeper, go to Facebook and search for The Growth Vault. It's a free community with thousands of other business owners just like you. I'll see you next time on The Growth Vault.